All right, let's pray together and we'll dig into the scriptures. Thank you, Lord, for the word of God. Oh, we would be lost. What would we do without this book, which is your very words, words from our creator? So you reveal yourself to us and we can read and meet you in the truth of the scriptures. Thank you so much. So, Lord, do it again this morning. And especially, I ask that you'd be preparing our hearts to come in an even more meaningful way before the cross and celebrating communion and all you've done for us. So pour out your grace. Help me as I preach. Help us as we listen. Speak to us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5. We started last week a new series on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, if you need a Bible, we'd like to bring one to you so that you can look on with us. We are passionately committed to studying the scriptures here at Mercy Hill Church. And so we'd like you to have a Bible that you can look on. And the first section, oh, by the way, Matthew 5, it's on page 809, 809 in the Bibles that we're passing out. So the first section in the Sermon on the Mount is the well-known section usually called the Beatitudes. And as I read the Beatitudes this week, and just looking at them, pondering, praying, studying them, I noticed something I had not seen before, something that kind of puzzled me. But as I pondered it, it gave me a whole new understanding into, I think, what Jesus wants us to be walking away with, this, with here. So let me, let's read through the, uh, the, the Beatitudes, and then I'll show you what I noticed and see if this grabs you like it grabbed me. Matthew 5, starting in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirits, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And here's what was puzzling to me. Jesus starts off saying, blessed are the the poor in spirit, which means we admit that in ourselves, because of our sin, apart from Christ, we have no spiritual goodness in us. So that means we have no spiritual goodness in us. So he starts off saying, admit that you're poor in spirit, you have no spiritual goodness in us. But then he goes on to say, blessed are those who do things of great spiritual goodness. Right? Like being pure in hearts and like being hungry for righteousness and being peacemakers and showing mercy. So he starts off saying, admit that you have no spiritual goodness in you and then do things of great spiritual goodness. Does that make you scratch your head any? It's kind of like he said, um, admit that you're paralyzed, do the high jump, and run the 100-yard dash. And you might think, well, uh, if we're paralyzed... How can we do the high jump in the 100-yard dash? Anybody getting that? Are you feeling that? Hello? Okay. We're not awake yet. Okay. We're doing these a little different this morning. Okay. So worship's more towards the end. I know it's still a little early. We'll get going here. 
But so that just really puzzled me. Why does he start off saying, you have nothing of spiritual goodness in you, and then he says, blessed are, are these who do all these things with great spiritual goodness. What's going on? How can we who are poor in spirit do things which require being rich in spirit? Is the way I posed the question. And then, and then I saw it. The order of these beatitudes is crucial. This is not random. It's like, well, you could have started at the end, you you could jumble them up, you just throw all the dice, which should I say first? The order is absolutely crucial. And what's going on here is that when we start with recognizing that we're poor in spirit, and when we mourn for our sinfulness, and then receive that outpouring of comfort from God's presence, we're forgiven, we're filled, we're satisfied, we're tasting of his very love and his presence. When that happens, change takes place. Free gift of goodness is poured into you, and you will find yourself hungering for righteousness more. You will find yourself being more meek. You will find yourself growing in being pure in heart. So the, the order is absolutely crucial here. But like, what, what would happen if, if you just looked at this list and say, well, that purity in heart one sounds good. I think I'll just maybe start there. And then in your own willpower, relying on your own resources, you start trying to be pure in heart. What's going to happen? You will utterly fail, or you'll think of a version of purity of heart that you can pull off, like never thinking about the letter Z all day long or something like that or whatever, okay? You might think of your own version, but you will not be able to be pure in heart the way God calls us to be pure in heart. So we can't do any of these things unless we first acknowledge that we can't. And then we turn to Jesus. Forgive me for my sinfulness. I can't. I, all I bring to the table is my sinfulness. And you welcome me because of the cross. I'm coming with empty hands. Help me. And when you do that, comfort will come, power will come, and you'll be changed. Think of it like this. Let's say that you bought an, a stereo amplifier receiver at, at Best Buy. Okay, and it's got all these knobs in the front, like you can listen to AM radio, and you can listen to FM radio, and you can put in a CD, and you can get your TV audio going, okay? And you open up the instruction manual, and it says, very important to, to do these in order. You think, okay, that's good. You know, Number one, plug the plug into this power strip. Okay, so you plug the plug in the power strip. Number two, plug the power strip into the wall. And number three, you can hit the AM button and listen to AM. Boop, ah, uh, sounds good. AM, FM, boop, works, okay. CD. Now what if you just said, well, let's just start with number four. Let's just hit the, the, the CD button. What's going to happen? This thing doesn't work. Well, let's just try number two, or number three. doesn't work. Okay, see, the order is absolutely crucial. The power to fulfill the Beatitudes comes from doing numbers one and two. You've got to start by seeing that you can't do them. And that in and of yourself, you are powerless to do them because of your sin. And then you come to Jesus. He's there with open arms. Mourn for your sin. And as you do that and put your trust in his death on the cross, he will pour his comfort out upon you. And that's not just something we do when we're first converted. Every day we need to live in the reality that we are poor in spirit. Every, do we sin every day? Yes, or if you don't think, look harder. You do. Ask your wife, okay? She'll clear things up. Okay, we, we all sin every day, and so every day we're mourning, and then we're receiving comfort. Now, what I want to do this morning is show you how this works for meekness and show you how this works for being hungry and thirsty for righteousness, and then let this time of communion we flow out of be a time where we come in a fresh way and acknowledge that we're poor in spirit and mourn for our sin and then receive comfort. Okay? So how does this work for meekness? Read verse 5 again. 
Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, to be meek means that we feel our true lowliness, our true humility before God and before others. Now, be, be careful in how you understand meekness, because there's lots of people today, some of you maybe, who just really feel bad about yourself. I mean, you've, you've lost money in the stock market, or you burned the, the casserole last night, or your you know, boyfriend or girlfriend just broke up with you, or whatever it might be, and there's, there's all kinds of people who feel really, really bad. That's not what meekness is. Okay? Meekness is about who we are before God. It's a very God-centered feeling. It's, it's who we are before God. It's about my sin before God. It means seeing that since I've turned my back on God, I, in and of myself, apart from Christ, who I am in and myself, deserve only punishment from God. But it also means an acknowledging that I've received lavish mercy through faith in Christ alone. And he has forgiven me, and he has poured his love upon me. He's made me into a new creation in Christ. He's working his righteousness in and through me. And when you live the truth that you are a a sinner saved by amazing grace, when when you live in the reality that you will be meek, you will feel appropriate lowliness before God and before others. So how can you tell if you're if you're meek, here's a couple, I thought I'd jot down a couple things. Here's some clues that you're experiencing meekness. Do you humbly submit to what God brings into your life? That's a sign of meekness. You're, you're, you're humbly trusting. You're, you're not angry at him or complaining. Um, that was my second one. I'm meek if I don't complain about what God is doing. Meekness means I, I just, I, I, I humble myself before him. You are infinitely wise. I'm not. I am meek if I humbly listen to correction from others. How do you do? I, I wrote a blog post this last week, and uh, and Jan helped me see that it was lame. And uh, and I'm I'm, I'm going to I'm getting more I'm I'm going to do better in the future about humbly listening to correction from others. Okay, um, I am meek if I see every good as a gift of God's astonishing grace. Oh God, thank you. Not it's about time. That's not meekness. Meekness is, oh Lord, another blood-bought gift for me. I'm meek if I don't protest that I deserve better. I deserve better than this. You don't. You've got to feel that. I'm meek if I put others first. That's meekness, right? I'm meek if I don't hold grudges, if I don't get offended, if I forgive everyone. Because okay, so how are we doing in the meekness department? Blessed are the meek. I know there's many of you, and you have seen growth in meekness over this past year by God's grace. You're seeing it. And all of us, all of us could do better at it, right? We need more. But see, if, so here's the question. If you in yourself are spiritually poor, which means you don't have the capacity, you can feel really bad about yourself because of stuff you do wrong or whatever, but in terms of coming before God and acknowledging before God that you have sinned against him, Acknowledging before God that you are in desperate need of Christ, thanking him for this free gift of salvation, that whole thing there, that's something that you are not able to do in yourself. But if you will come and just say, I can't, I'm not feeling it right now. Here I am, once again, I'm poor in spirit once again. Forgive me. Forgive me for my pride. Forgive me for that I think I deserve better. Help me to see the reality of my sin and your love for me. Help me see this. When you pray that way, 
you will receive a meek heart from the Lord. You will start to feel it. You'll start to grow. It'll, it'll increase in you. Let me give you an illustration. Let's go back to that yacht captain illustration. Remember this one? I'm milking this one for all it's worth, okay? One more time on the, on the yacht captain. God is like a yacht captain who builds this amazing luxury yacht. I mean, fitted out with state-of-the-art equipment, okay? Beautiful luxury state rooms, packs the galley full of the best wine and caviar and, and carne asada burritos, okay? It's just amazing, you know? Love this thing. And then he invites all of us to come and join him on an all-expenses-paid trip to the Bahamas. That's what God's done in creating this beautiful world and creating you. So we're, we're, we're getting on the boat, and, and the boat, boo-boo, so it pulls off from the dock, and then all of a sudden something happens. You and me, we feel this... I want to be in charge here. I want to call the shots. I want to be in control here. We look at each other, there's this dark glint in our eyes. Let's do it. And we mutiny. And we throw them overboard. And we've got control of the ship now. That's what we've all done. That's called the fall, Genesis 3. We've all done that in Adam and, and in ourselves too. Now the Navy SEALs come. And they rescue the boat from out of our mutinous hands and they rescue the captain before he drowns and we're all taken in handcuffs to the nearest country where we are tried and in this country it's 20 years for mutiny and so there you are and you you know i've done wrong what have i done i'm going to be 20 years in prison for mutiny but see in this country there's a little strange twist in the legal system they let the yacht captain and his son do something frankly it's shocking The yacht captain and his son decide, let's have the son serve your 20-year prison sentence. And the judge says, okay, in our country, you have that option. And so the son puts his hands out, clasp, clasp, handcuffs, shuffle, shuffle, shackles, off to spend 20 years in this prison, and you walk out of the courtroom a free man or woman. Now, How would you feel when you see the yacht captain walking by the street there in this country? Would you feel an appropriate lowliness and humility? Would you feel that? What you've done is amazing. Why? Thank you. Thank you. Would you be so overwhelmed with the fact that you could have been in the prison and you are a free man, a free woman? Would you be so filled with that? Like you'd be you'd be holding doors open for people? Go ahead, right? I mean you'd be forgiving everybody who's ever hurt you. You would just be like serving people and loving people, right? Would you even hold any grudges against anybody? You'd be meek. Do you feel that? That's what happens when we start by recognizing that we're poor in spirit and then mourn and receive comforts. It all starts with that first beatitude and the second beatitude. Every day, every day, not just when we're converted, but every day we need to live in the truth that we in ourselves are poor in spirit and we mourn for our sin and we receive the comforts of his love and his care for us. And that will humble you. And you will emerge from that precious time with the Lord growing in meekness. Let me read you a quote from Henry Martin. He was a missionary to India in the 1800s. And I was just blown away yesterday reading how he experienced this. This might shock some of you, but just feel it. Here's a man, he he just wrote this journal, didn't intend for it to be published. Somebody found it after he died. Here's what he wrote. Got it up here? Oh, good. When God helps me see 
the sin of my past and even my present, how sinful do I appear. Oh, that I knew how to be truly humbled. What should I think of myself in comparison to others? I should kiss the dust under their feet when I see my own sinfulness and be constantly stunned at God and his goodness. Do you see the connection there between seeing his own being poor in spirit, receiving the comfort of the Lord's salvation, and then humbling himself before God and before others? That's how it works. There's one more thing I want to mention. Some of you heard me talk about putting others first, and that's what what meekness means. And you're wondering, um, that sounds like it might end up costing me quite a bit. If I just live putting others first, might that end up costing me too much? Jesus knew you'd wonder, which is why he says what he does under meekness. Did you catch what he said? Blessed are the meek. Why? For they shall inherit the earth. Inherit the earth. Remember Abraham and Lot? Perfect illustration of this. Their flocks got too big. They were you know, running out of room there. And Abraham chose to be meek. And he let Lot choose. Lot, we can't stay here in this area. We've got to choose where we're going to go. So Lot, you can choose. Where do you want to go with your flocks? Lot looked around. He saw all this hard scrabble and all these barren hillsides. And then he saw this lush little valley down here called Sodom and Gomorrah before it got burned up. And, uh, and he said, well, I'll take the valley. And Abraham said, all right. So Lot took his flocks down into the choicest area. And then what did God do? Remember the story? God took Abraham up on top of a mountain. He said, Abraham, look north. Look south. Look east. Look west. Look at all this, including that little, that little valley down there, Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham, all of this is going to be yours. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. You will inherit the earth. Because by faith in Christ, you are joined to him and the Father has chosen to honor Jesus by placing the whole earth, really the whole universe, into his hands. And because you're joined to Christ as a fellow heir with Christ, you will inherit the earth. I'm sorry, who will inherit the earth? The meek. The meek. Those who live putting others first, which is saved people followers of Jesus, because you can't start following Jesus and not have your heart become meek. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So do you see how those first two Beatitudes work then into the meekness? Do you feel that? Okay, now let's look at the the next one, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. How does this work? Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Okay, what is righteousness? Okay, sometimes in the Bible, righteousness refers to how even though we're not perfectly righteous, God like clothes us with Jesus' perfect righteousness, even though we're not, we're clothed with his, and he sees us as if we were perfectly righteous. Beautiful truth. Whenever you trust Christ, that's the reality. That's not what's being talked about here, though. Here what's being talked about is, is not being clothed with Christ's perfect righteousness. Here's what's being talked about is your actual behavioral righteousness. How you think righteously, feel righteously, and act righteously. And the reason we know that is because Jesus never uses the word righteousness 
to refer to what we are clothed with when we're saved. He always refers to righteousness, uses the word righteousness to refer to our actual acts of righteousness. So what would be some examples? Well, I just went through the Sermon on the Mount and, and made a list. Here's, here's an example of what righteousness would be. It means not being angry against others. It means not looking at a woman with lust. It means letting your yes be yes and your no be no, telling the, the truth. Turning the other cheek. Loving your enemies. Giving money in secret. Praying in secret. Fasting in secret. We're going to be going all through, the, through these in the Sermon on the Mount. It means laying up treasures in heaven. It means not being anxious about money, trusting God for provision, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It means not judging. right? It means asking, seeking, and knocking in prayer. It means that whatever you wish others would do for you, you do it for them. It means obeying Jesus' words. And that's just from the Sermon on the Mount. So you get a little flavor of what we're talking about here with righteousness? So the next question is, what does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Jesus doesn't just say, blessed are those who are righteous. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I was talking to, was it Jim at home group? Yeah, Jim. That is, this is like a primal, basic craving that we have for hunger and food, for, for food and drink, right? Was it you? I think it was okay. And I just, I just thought, Jim's right. And so and when you get hungry, right, you set, don't you, you just like put everything else aside. You are on a mission, right? You need to eat something. You need to, if you're thirsty, you need to drink something. That, that becomes like, some of you, I hope you aren't feeling that right now, but you'll give it, a, we'll be done here soon. But anyway, when you get hungry and you're feeling that hunger and thirst, that becomes basically, it's a drive, it's a passion, it's a craving. You need food, you need drink. That's what Jesus is talking about in terms of righteousness. We hunger and thirst for righteousness like we physically hunger and thirst for food and drink. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be satisfied. So this past week, just think about all the different things you've, you've hungered and thirsted for. Have you hungered and thirsted for righteousness this past week? Have you longed to, I want to be a man of prayer, a woman of truth-telling. I want to forgive people. Have you longed for righteousness? Now, if you haven't, I have really good news for you. Okay? That just confirms what? You're poor in spirit. I'm poor in spirit. Okay? This was written for those of us who read these and say, ah, I'm not doing that. Right. Go back to the beginning. Start with acknowledging that you're poor in spirit. You've got a little machine. This is maybe a bad illustration, but there's a little machine here, your hunger and thirst for righteousness machine, and there's a plug here, and you've got to plug it into the power strip and then plug it into the wall, and boom, it starts working. Okay? You've got to acknowledge that you're poor in spirit and then mourn and receive comfort, and it starts working. And if you start being discouraged that you're not this and just think, well, I'm, I know I'm a bad Christian, I'm not doing very well. No, 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 no. Go back to number one. Acknowledge that you are poor in spirit. Acknowledge that we in ourselves, we hunger for entertainment, we hunger for sex, we hunger for fame, we hunger for money, right? We don't hunger for righteousness. So if you don't hunger for righteousness, you're in the right place. All of us poor in spirit people who are then going to come and say, okay, Lord, I acknowledge, I don't hunger for righteousness. I am poor in spirit. And I mourn over the fact that I don't hunger for righteousness. I'm looking to you, Jesus, your death on the cross, your resurrection. 
forgive me, change me, help me. And what will happen when you recognize your poor in spirit and you mourn? You will be comforted. Now, oh, that word comfort is rich. What that means is that when you come before the Lord Jesus, acknowledge that you're poor in spirit, mourn for your sin, put your trust in him, there will be times when he pours his very love into your heart. So you go from knowing that he loves you to feeling and experiencing his very love for you. There will be times where you sense the guilt burden lifting off of you and the the forgiveness joy coming onto you where your heart thirsts are satisfied drinking rivers of living water there will be times where where god pours his comfort out upon you in a felt experienced tangible way you're comforted and when you feel that at that moment there's one thing you want more than anything else more like the kids how do they, how, how does colby do more more okay more, right? I want more of you. And we know that Jesus said, if you keep my commandments, I will come to you and will manifest even more of myself to you. So you see how that works? Poor in spirit, mourning, outpouring of comfort. I want more of him and more of him is found in the path of righteousness. Not as something I earn, but as a free gift of grace in the path of righteousness. That's how it works. Let me read you a quote from David Brainerd, another missionary quote this morning. David Brainerd, missionary to the American Indians, early 1700s. Here's how he experienced this connection between the first two Beatitudes and then a longing for holiness, he calls it. He says, got it there? Nice. When I really enjoy God, I feel my desires for him the more insatiable. Insatiable means, I want more. I want more. I feel my desires for him the more insatiable and my thirsting after holiness the more unquenchable. He's hungering and thirsting for righteousness here. Where did that come from? It came from the comfort of enjoying God which comes from coming to God as a moral pauper, penniless, mourning for my sin, trusting Jesus and receiving his comfort. I feel my desires for him the more insatiable and my thirsting after holiness the more unquenchable and the Lord will not allow me to feel as though I were fully satisfied but keeps me still reaching forward for holiness, for righteousness, for more of God. But you see how it all starts with being poor in spirit and mourning because then he pours out the comforts. And when you taste the comfort of the Holy Spirit, when you taste God's very love poured into your heart and you feel his presence and his love and his nearness and the indwelling Christ, your Christ in you, the hope of glory, there's nothing that compares and all other desires fade away at that point and there's one thing, you have a single-minded purpose. I want more of Jesus Christ. I want more of your presence, Father, through Jesus. I want, I'm going to walk in the path of righteousness because that's where, by your grace, you part more and more and more. So, a couple examples. Let's say tomorrow you go into work and, and you botched a, an assignment at work on Friday and your boss asks what happened and you're tempted to lie about it. Okay? But earlier tomorrow morning, you spent time before the Lord coming, poor in spirit, mourning, and then receiving. And you tasted of God's presence through Christ. And you want more. And so here you are. You can lie or, or tell the truth. And because you want more, because you're hungering to walk that path of righteousness, you say, boss, I screwed up. Tell them the truth. You let your SBS and your no be no. And as you do that, Jesus makes him, his presence even more real to you. You're even more satisfied in him. And God will work it out. 
But the joy of knowing him is worth telling the truth because you'll have more of him. Maybe you're on the computer and, and, and uh, this little ad comes up. You could click on the, uh, the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. Okay. But before you do that, you can spend some time with the Lord Tuesday morning. You're with the Lord. Poor in spirit, morning, comfort coming. Oh, I love your presence. What I want more than anything else is your presence. And I could click on this, but oh, the path of righteousness is just dripping with buckets of your comfort. And your, I want that. And so you're hungering and thirsting for purity of heart and for walking that path. And so you say, no. You want more of him. You're, you're hungering and you're thirsting for righteousness. See how that works? So see, meekness, this is the third beatitude, and hunger for hunger and thirst for righteousness flow from recognizing that you're poor in spirit, first beatitude, mourning for your sin, second beatitude, being comforted as you come before the Lord in that way, as you trust in Jesus, he will pour his comfort out upon you, and your heart will change. The instruction manual says, number one, plug it into the power cord, power strip. Number two, plug the power strip into the wall. You can't start with number eight. can't start with number five. You've got to start with number one and number two. You've got to start there. The order of the Beatitudes is crucial. And if we do that order, you will find this week meekness in heart growing. You will experience this week hunger for righteousness rising. And we'll keep unfolding those through the rest of the of the Beatitudes section of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, this is what I want us to pursue right now as we take communion together. Okay, let's have the band come on up. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to focus during this time. Dave's going to lead us in two songs, focusing on the cross. And during those two songs, there's a table here on your left and on your right. Come on up, take the bread, take the cup, and then bring the bread and the cup back to your seat. And I will come up after the second song and lead us Um, in partaking of communion together. But what I want you to focus on as we're worshiping with these songs is coming to Jesus Christ and acknowledging that in yourself, because of your sin, apart from Christ, in yourself, you're poor in spirit. You have nothing of spiritual, you have nothing to recommend you to God in and of yourself. And mourn over your sin. Sorry, forgive me, help me. Pour your comfort out upon me. I'm looking to the cross and ask him to pour his forgiveness, pour his peace, pour his love, pour his heart-healing presence out upon you. So, Father, I pray that right now, as we set our hearts upon the cross, I'm asking, Lord, that you would do a powerful work in each heart that's here. Every one of us here, Lord, we are poor in spirit. We are. We've fulfilled that requirement. That's the easy one. But now we need to come and admit it to you and come to you as those poor in spirit. That's what we've got to choose to do. So Lord, we come now. Help us to see that more clearly. Help us to mourn over our sin and then pour out your comfort as we put our trust in Jesus Christ and his life and his death and his resurrection. I pray that even now, Lord, as we do this, each one of us would meet you in a fresh way and Sense your love, sense the assurance of your comfort, sense the assurance of forgiveness, and that you would start to produce meekness in us, and that we could hunger and thirst for righteousness. So come now, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.